someone was saying to me, like, what's your secret? And I said, well, I have no secret. I just know that I, I fear mastery because mastery means you think you know what you're talking about. Welcome to Design Lab. I'm your host, Bon Koo. On this show, we interview designers, doctors, architects, and other amazing people. We explore what design is and how we might apply it to live healthier and more creative lives. Thank you, everyone, for leaving comments. One listener said, I love that the conversations are open, vulnerable, and relatable, and really seek to understand the guest as a person outside their work. Another listener commented, love the diverse perspectives on this podcast and the introduction to design concepts and how they are relevant to all of us. I really appreciate these comments and the feedback. If you haven't left a comment, please do so. And don't forget to rate and follow us. Okay, so I'm so excited about my guest this week. It's John Maida. I have been following his work for years. If you don't know John, he is a legend in design. I first met him at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And last winter, he stopped by my lab at the hospital in Philadelphia. It's hard for me to define who John is. He's so many things. He's an artist, an educator, graphic designer, a computer scientist, and an engineer. His career path is so diverse. He was the president of the Rhode Island School of Design. He was a researcher and professor at MIT Media Lab. He went on to work in venture capital at Kleiner Perkins in Silicon Valley. John's a visionary. He's recognized globally for his thought leadership on the intersection of technology and design. It was so much fun for me to talk with him. Let's jump right into our conversation. John Maida, thanks for joining me on Design Lab. Glad to be here. I think we talked about an hour and a half in our lab back in the winter of, of last mm-hmm. year. So that was that was super impactful. So I don't know if you know this or not, but you're like a mentor for me, even though we haven't what? really talked a lot. Yes. I, mean, I think it's the other way around, really, but um, I'm happy to happy to serve whatever <laughs> needs I can provide. But you're like you're like Dr. Bonku MD. Like I look up to you. Like when I'm like saying, like, what's he saying? He's saying COVID is real. Got it. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, health issues, real. I'm like, okay, tell me more. So there, I'm a that, follower. We had this great conversation in the lab and you talked about academia and higher Ooh, education yeah. and you had this whole Star mm. Wars narrative to it. Jedi. Jedi yeah, so yeah. you you were a Jedi Knight in I that was world. full, full out Jedi, but and, uh, turned into my sword. And I and that mm-hmm. conversation was amazing. I, so I really? thought, yes. Are you going to, are you going to defect? <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about that conversation. I think about it on a weekly basis. What? What we have, yeah. Whoa. I'm okay. I'm like a young Padawan in this whole thing. Hey, come on and... in, you know, come on in. Yeah, well, I, I'm, a, <laughs> I, I'm total Padawaned out. For those of you who don't watch Star Wars, a Padawan is basically a Jedi apprentice. Someone was saying to me, like, what's your secret? And I said, well, I have no secret. I just know that I, I fear mastery because mastery means you think you know what you're talking about. So, and when I wrote The Laws of Simplicity, I just remembered recently how one of my favorite stories was how 
I knew this uh, karate person, and he was saying how the the sign of a truly great karate black belt is for you to use it up so much that the black ink wears out and it becomes white. Mm. And I thought, whoa, that is deep. I want to I, I, I want to go after that level. So I'm I like Padawan forever. <laughs> That's my thing. Well, that explains why you've had such a diverse career path. So yeah. for mm-hmm. those of you who don't know John, he has been described as an artist, a designer, an engineer, a technologist, working mm-hmm. in the venture capital world, like an academic. Yeah, like a yeah, like like on a like like on Batman's belt. I'm like the vials on the belt. I'm not Batman. <laughs> Just like <laughs> I'm like the vials on the belt. That's that's my thing. <laughs> Do you identify yourself most as a designer? No, I don't know. I, I think I'm just a technologist, really. Mm. That's all I really am. What What are some principles that you have that have guided you switching between all these different career switching. paths? Um, knowing that people who are in it have high regard for what they do and they're super serious about it and because of it it often prevents you from believing that someone else could be just as smart as you to be blunt Hmm. it's kind of like i am a jedi master of the thimble and you may be the jedi master of the the dumbbell the thimble is better than the dumbbell thank you done <laughs> kind of thing. And, oops, whoa the side whoa did <laughs> i did i lost there that was fun i'm trying stuff out and then the other side if you've got like the if you've got the other side saying like thimble who cares then they both get to live in their world of like see i told you we are the best at what we do the other thing not as important let's go back and have a beer Hmm. and academia is designed that way right like i remember like when i was um when i was junior in that world someone told me this story that like made so much sense it was uh it was actually someone in philly and he was saying like well john this is the way it works so when you get a new field the new field looks for another new field to fight against because then you can like criticize each other and publish papers where you're like, no, you're no good. No, you're no good. You're no good. And the publication count just increases. And in the end, there you go. Everybody wins. Everybody gets tons of uh, credit. It's because the friction existed. But in, because of it, though, it's created a wall. And the wall prevents permeability. That's why when I discovered your work, I was like, whoa, he's like... A doctor but he's also a tv show person and oh and he's also super interested in design and now he's making a podcast and i i i appreciate that and again props to rob also i mean i mean rob rob's total badass so i mean basically you have around you these polymorphic people that are okay with not being a ha 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 and that's a good place for people, I believe. If they have the ability to have the privilege and the self-confidence and all the other things to be lucky to have, I think that's a really wonderful thing. It's 
hard to do in academic. It's hard to code switch like like that because you we tend to go into our domain expertise and our silo and just stay there for the rest of our lives. So it's inspiring the journey that you took going to all these different fields. Oh yeah, I lived life the wrong way is what I realized in hindsight. Like I I was at MIT. I like got all the medals. I could have stayed there forever, but I realized at some point, I didn't know what I was talking about when talking with the younger Padawans who were all looking up to me. Meanwhile, they're going out to work and I'm like, I don't really know what this thing you're doing is, but it's much more sophisticated than what I actually am doing here. And But that wasn't the case in the 80s or the 90s because nobody had computers. So MIT had the best computers, uh, but it changed in the year 2000. And again, like if you're like in a super quantum physics, whatever thing, yes, I mean, higher education, research labs, superb, right? But if you're doing something that industry is better at doing, then you kind of got to wonder like, like what does the Jedi know? Mm. And especially during this time when higher education has gone online and virtual, Oh and, my gosh, you're you're in the middle of that. I, I just don't. <laughs> yeah, and w what what does higher education have to offer now when it's all oh, virtual? Oh wow, that's uh, you're you're in it. Oh wow, that's so funny. Um, and you're like super advanced. Like your team is like the A team when it comes to technology. You're like, yeah, I'll get a SMB seven microphone because I know it's high quality. <laughs> like, I'm going to use Squadcast instead of some like horrible podcasting system from like 20 years ago. Whereas like, you know, you're, you're, you're selecting the right green arrow like tool mm. for digital. So you and Rob and your team are like anomalies because the rest are like looking for a hatchet and a can opener. And you're probably in the 1% that can run at your level. And, but if you look at um, industry, industry is like at par, way ahead of you in some cases, depending upon which sector. Um, so there's a whole world of people who actually know how to work in digital. It's just that higher education never had to because the business model was Disneyland or Disney World or, or either. Like, come, come on, Town Square, Goofy. <laughs> You know, Mickey Mouse, they're going to wave at you. You know, it's like awesome. And like, what kind of food should I eat in the restaurant, the Sea Lagoon restaurant? Or should it be like the Blue Canyon restaurant? And then there's activities and rides and everyone has a great time. That model is no longer as useful. You, I'm, I heard you told a story one time about a student when you were at MIT saying... Um, they're looking for mentors from professors and then, oh, yeah, and then yeah. you said, uh, the students that told a bunch of MIT professors, you don't have real jobs. You don't have real jobs. Yeah. That was <laughs> stunning. It was these it was students on this big Jedi council and it's like, you know, we were all expressing our concerns for their future careers and needing more advising from us Jedi and like two students. One of them said to us, she said, um, what do you mean you're going to help us with our future careers? You all don't have real jobs. And that was the, that was after the year after, that's when I got my MBA as a hobby. I started my MBA as a hobby because I wanted to Shawshank Redemption myself to a new place. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. 
I think she's kind of right. Actually, I think she is right. So let me kind of figure this other thing out. So took the spoon out of the brick, you know, started digging, got my MBA and like, oh, well, this is a different language. Oh, I, I, I skipped this language. I think I should have learned this language and then went off to become an operator. Mm. And we're lucky to be swimming ever since. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, design. The way that you describe design, I love it. You describe three types of design yeah. flavors, classical mm -hmm. design, design thinking, computational design. Can you yeah. give examples of these design yeah. flavors? Yeah, well, you know, um, some people really dislike that framing, so I'll just put that out there. Uh, but it helped me explain it to more people in business because I'm sure as you've discovered, when you say health design, it can mean so many things. Like, you know, frankly, Dr. Bonku, I don't care what, 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 what scrubs color I'm wearing. So the design, who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, like, frankly, I don't care about the color of the wall in the hospital. So this design thing, I don't care. And so you have those people who are still stuck in that. And you have, and those people I, I call stuck in classical design, like the design they used to buy or the design they buy every day to kind of fulfill their lives, consumer needs. And then there's design thinking, which is a, a kind of a newer variant, but it's basically strategy that's human centered. And I think that is something that wasn't taught in business school for so many years. Uh, it might've been taught as kind of new product development, absent the human thing. So I think that, you know, to IDO's credit, uh, also Rotman together, they, Rotman in, in Canada together, they were able to kind of create the design thinking meme about, hey, maybe we have to collaborate, think together, diverge before we just totally execute. And that was in reaction to Six Sigma, people forget. Hmm. Because Six Sigma saved businesses because they were too divergent. And Six Sigma allowed people to actually hone in, narrow in, increase quality, compete with, at the time, the Japanese, and deliver higher quality manufacturing. And so design thinking was the kind of antidote to Six Sigma uh, that had kind of like taken over most of companies. Then there's computational design, which involves anything with Moore's law in it, anything with software, hardware, microchip, network, internet, cloud, et cetera, which is actually a new beast that, as I was pointing out, like in the 80s, nobody cared. In the 90s, people kind of cared. Year 2000, people say, I don't know, maybe, you know, because we have to forget, we, we easily forget that in the 80s and 90s, if you had a computer at your house, it was kind of embarrassing. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, or people would have a towel over it during a party. Like, <laughs> I, I don't have a computer mouse. I'm not a nerd, you know, I'm totally like legit. But I think after year 2000 and where computers became consumerized, and everybody had one, not just the privileged people at the top universities, top research labs, top companies, et cetera. Once that happened, computational design became a norm. And we can credit the smartphone revolution as making that happen. Everybody, everybody had access to a supercomputer in their purse or pocket. And that kind of design is really still quite new. The problem is most design programs only create classical designers. And maybe like 5% of it, they'll create people who are geared for businesses, design thinking. Mm -hmm. And maybe like less than 1% are actually making people who can work in computational design work for the tech economy. And that's a kind of fundamental problem we have, why it's so scarce. 
And in your book, How to Speak Machine, you speak about this new type of computational design. Yeah. And, and you speak about this, um, there, you have this chapter or this section called the Temple of Design Doesn't mm. Rule This Century. Yeah. Is that, are you speaking about classical design? Yep, Temple okay. Design, yeah. And that, and that book didn't do very well, but <laughs> because- <laughs> I have it, I love it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, I was like, ah, oh, this book maybe too early. Maybe I'm too early, a little bit too early, but uh, it's still out there. The signal's out there. People are curious because um, I wanted a way to explain computer science without teaching code. And I wanted people to understand that this medium we call code or the internet or the cloud is fundamentally different than every other medium that came before it. And every temple of medical, you know, medical science, every temple of design, et cetera, were built before this computational thing arrived at scale. And because of it, many businesses suffer. Uh, because of it, nonprofits suffer, governments suffer. Meanwhile, tech companies have no problem whatsoever. It's like they're skating across like sub-zero ice. It's, it's so friction, frictionless. And when they go to Congress, they're like, you don't understand, do you? Like we live in like the sub-zero temperatures, like sk ice skating thing. You're all like walking on it. And you're like, whoa, 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 <laughs> you're slipping all the time. So how to speak machine gives you a kind of beginner's mind knowledge of what is that ice. Mm. that we are all standing on right now. And it's quite brittle now. Mm. And in many ways, this new type of design, computational design has a greater role, I believe in healthcare than classical design. Cause yeah. when I try to explain to people what I do, yeah. they're like, they don't understand what role design plays in healthcare because they think of classical design. Yes. And so I'm, I'm curious to know what, what do you see yeah. as the Future role uh, of design in healthcare. Oof, that's so hard. I mean, you know, when I say computational design, it could mean that you, as a doctor, medical professional, recognized that this system we're using to do a podcast is 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 the leading system right now because it's able to stream video to have a face to face thing. It's also able to record in high fidelity. You have excellent audio equipment on your end. And so you're, you're, you're a computational thinker. So it's natural for you to do it the way you're doing it right now. Um, I think anyone else, if they were trying it, I wouldn't see you on screen. I wouldn't see Rob's Google Maps sort of location information. <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, it would just be some other experience. And we'd be like, we, we, we'd be, you'd be trying to explain to me how this works, not knowing that I do know how it works. So computational thinkers have, have either grown up or adapted quickly to be able to understand how the technology works to exact better outcomes. Hmm. Do you personally use a set of design principles or methods in your own life to be healthier? And I'm speaking about health in a broad Ooh, sense of the This is the health podcast. This isn't a computation podcast. So let's, let's <laughs> go back to the main thing. I'm like I said, like I just like. I, I don't, I don't I know just, what this podcast is about. I, so I'm just throwing it out there. I just read what you're like posting. And I'm like, okay, COVID-19 real, you know, medical professions, you know, thank you. Medical professionals, thank you. You're frontline. And I, I just kind of see, I can see that the healthcare profession, different than higher education because higher education may be getting slightly disrupted by online learning, 
I think a medical profession, yes, too, for a doctor consultation, et cetera. But I don't imagine that the actual physical COVID-19 care is getting supercharged by digital. Um, if we can talk about 3D printed, we could print all these other things, but I don't know if the cloud is supercharging you like the flash as a doctor right now. It, correct. That's 100% accurate. And, 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 and meanwhile, everyone's like, well, why? You know, why do you need that? Well, hey, if you had... If you could run 10%, 20% faster, wouldn't it be better? Not, not, not in a hospital business optimization problem, but in terms of your cognitive speed to solve problems. I don't think we are doing any of that. Meanwhile, in like higher education or whatever, there's like online classrooms, whatever. There's so many new webinars. Oh my gosh, there's so many new webinars. So it's like, what is that? Every like combination of seven letters, dot IO, dot whatever, dot whatever. It's like another video webinar thing. And but yeah. I don't know what you're getting in the health profession right now. It's definitely not supercharged. So I think about, I will love real-time data to guide my clinical decision-making at the bedside, especially during COVID-19, because mm. in late March, early April, when this new disease popped into my emergency room, yep. I did not know how to manage it. And so what I did mm. was I got on the phone with my colleagues in New York City. Mm. I said, hey, you've seen this coronavirus, you've taken care of COVID pneumonia, how, mm. how did you manage these patients? Mm. But it took me getting on my cell phone and calling someone up as opposed to, I wish I could get their data on how they were managing patients from, mm. You know, when do you, at what oxygen saturation is it safe to send someone home with mm. other clinical parameters? So yeah. the cloud computational design has not been supercharged, but I hope in the future it, it might be. But yeah, my practice in the emergency room has not been changed. Yeah. And if anything, I just see how fatigued all of you are. And I mean, I'm so thankful that you're all doing that. I mean, I, 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 you know, aside from the, the basic Maslow hierarchy of needs, sleep, food, that kind of safety, and maybe some cooler, cool tech sort of fe feature appears here and there. I don't know what's getting you in the Maslow hierarchy of need of technology. So I'm hopeful that there are like startups that are listening to doctors like yourself who are computationally oriented. And they're listening and learning and like, already when you said that, I was thinking about how like, well, you know, if you know, we have super duper confidential uh, issues around data. So why couldn't you go through some kind of like Dr. Seuss-like data filter that can reach out to to New York hospitals and like take no data whatsoever, but help give you like five categories of rapid treatment? You know, upload it to how like you're running your your day and your staff and team and even the instrumentation. I mean, that would be fine. But, but, and it's possible with computation, but you have mm. to have someone who understands the problem, explain it to someone who can build it. Mm. You're a pretty optimistic guy. I hear a lot of your talks. There's a lot of optimism there. Has that changed? Where, where did it, you get that from? I, I, I've heard it on your podcast and your, your lectures. Uh, I think in the future, you have an optimistic view. I'm a, I'm a pragmatic optimist. Yeah, I, I, I'm a combo, combo. Um, do, do you, has 2020 changed that? Oh, pragmatic optimism. Um, let's see. Well, I I actually lament knowing how computation works. 
because it means I can see so many problems in how everything is running and the speed it can run at, the scale it can run at, like in, a, in a how to speak machine, I kind of lay out how like it never gets tired. You know, mm -hmm. like, no, no, wait, wait no, no, it, it, it gets tired, right? No, no, it actually never, ever gets tired. It's always running. Your Labor Day, huh? You know, it's like a weekend, huh? Bathroom, huh? It's going to keep going, you know? And then also it can span infinite, infinite space, but also infinitesimal detail at the same time. That's a paradox. Hmm. Like nothing can do that. You know, find a needle in a haystack. That's impossible. Like a computation can do that in every haystack on earth like that. That's not normal. And also it can emulate living things. These are the three first chapters. You don't have to buy the book. I mean, like that's not normal. So in that abnormal world, if you lay on how information is disseminated now, you can see how every permutation of bad can happen. And bad tends to outweigh good because bad is more interesting. Mm. Whether it's a video that's slightly tampered with or audios, whatever, or it's the belief that an actual live present is tweeting complex videos. And you're like, actually, you'd require a media studio to do that. But you're like, oh my gosh, they've done it, you know? And so I, th I think there's a kind of misconception of so many factors and the speed of computation. That frightens me the most. Hmm. How we learn things. Like, how will I listen to Dr. Bon Koo talking about something in, like, health versus, like, Dr., you know, Dr. Jane Barber or Dr. Jim Bob or whatever, who's like, you know, they got the doctor, maybe it doesn't, it isn't an MD, you never know. And maybe it's got the MD, but you're like, it's a little sketchy MD kind of thing, you know? You know? And you're like, who should I believe? You know? Hmm. And then there's all these biases, a racial bias, like Dr. Bonku, you know, he's, he looks like maybe I shouldn't trust him right now, <laughs> you know? Versus, you know, he's not, he doesn't look like me, you know? And so, like, there's all that, too. So I, 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 and the computation can wrap media algorithms around someone's mind. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen the red state, blue state thing mm -hmm. from Wall Street Journal? It's mm -hmm. the old one. If you're a red state, this is what you see on Facebook. Mm -hmm. If you're a blue state, this is what you see on Facebook. It's such an amazing system that will never tire and get our it, attention. Is it because of all the algorithms? Computation, cloud, knowledge, data, and again, never gets tired. It can zoom out or zoom totally into you. Um, what is it? One of the things that I heard about a long time ago that always sort of like struck me was how, you know, Facebook, uh, maybe it's changed, but if I wanted to advertise, I can pay for the moment of a breakup. <laughs> what? Well, you know, when you turn like relation status different, whatever, that, that's a whole mechanical face. We forget it was uh -huh. like a dating, whatever it was. It was a thing. So... If you pay for that moment where you've like no longer connected, just think about it. You are so vulnerable. You want to fill it with something like, you know, like anything you want to be mm. like, are you going to buy like a trash can, the screen? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I think I need that. That's going to fill the gap. And you, and the, the, you, you would have to pay more for that. Mm. Something I heard like seven years ago. And I was like, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Rob and I like to do this like takeaway at the end yeah. of the podcast oh for, for, gosh, for we, a listener of, so much so. Of, <laughs> okay. of uh no I, I love it so it okay. can be 
anything right. for right. a listener of that they could apply to her right. life. So right. it can be Got it. maybe there's some principles or methods right. to mm-hmm. be healthier physically okay. or mentally or Ooh. maybe be more creative. Interesting. And okay. so I'm curious risky. to know from, from your lens, because you've had yeah. so much expertise in so many different domains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some takeaways okay. for someone I'll listening? I'll try this. Okay. Well, first of all, to that one listener out there, Thank you for listening. <laughs> this is, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Dr. Bon Koo and his special team. He has the Avengers of Medicine around him. And um, so thanks for listening in. Uh, hopefully this will have made however many minutes this is edited to worth your time. Um, to be creative means you need to have urgency. But it doesn't mean you can either be snap your fingers like be creative now. So, first of all, you need urgency, and you also need space to be creative. So let me break it up into two pieces of advice. The first thing is, like, I was lucky in my early, like, like in my mid-20s to meet this man who passed away a few years ago, named Mitz Kataoka. He was a, a professor at UCLA, served in the Korean War. He was this short guy with like the sunglasses, you know, like Air Force style sunglasses and carried this gigantic briefcase and looked kind of angry at me and <laughs> and is short, like Barney Rubble. And I was scared of him, but I, 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 he was introduced to me, to, to me by a famous designer. Um, and so I met him in my mid twenties and Mitz was like in his sixties and I was living in Japan at the time. And like, he'd call me up at any time during the day. And this is before mobile phones. It's calling your house phone. And I was like, uh, hello? <laughs> and he's like, John, we gotta talk about China. We this kind of whatever, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, um, it's, that's really great. I didn't really know this man. So anyways, he was just different, different kind of man. Um, and then like a couple of years after knowing him like this in this awkward way, and he introduced me to all these people who knew like, you know, Ray and Charles Eames or Namjoon Pak. And so he was wow. part of this era, you know? So he was legit. And um, we were having lunch at his favorite, I wish I knew the name of the restaurant. Now it's difficult, I hope I hope they're still out there, but it's strip mall, Chinese restaurant. Oh God, it was amazing. Um, he'd take me there. And uh, when we sat down, he said to me, you, you, you know that I'm different, right? And I was like, yeah, you know you're different? You're like self-aware, you know that? He says, yeah, because I was just like you. And I said, what do you mean? And so I was like in my you know, 20s, I was up and coming. People started to know about me. It was really great. You know, my wife was a, a medical school student. We were married. You know, we, we just had a kid. We were, no, we were, she was pregnant, she was saying. And then everything was like you know, mapped out. They had just signed the, uh, uh, buying a house. And it was like, you know, la, 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 la. And he said, she came home one day and said she wasn't feeling right. And then because she's, you know, she's in the medical school world, she like gets tested, tested twice, three times, and everything's okay. Um, And then she's like, huh. And then, but then she gets one more test and they discover that she had terminal cancer. Mm. And this is before the baby was born. And he said, the baby was born, she died. And he said, from that moment forward, he never thought of living life beyond a year anymore, years. He just thought about the next day. Hmm. 
And so it changed his perception of time as to be lived right now, which I'm not recommending to live, but seeing it manifested in this man, I was like, wow, that is different. So anyways, I get this uh, call from him after I uh, accepted becoming president of RISD. He says, John, that's great. Great job. Kind of early, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to get there when you're like 50-something. Got it <laughs> early. Good for you. And he said, but don't forget, you know, you're coming to the end of your second quarter. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, life is lived in four quarters, uh, one to 25, 25 to 50, 50 to 75, 75 to 100. And don't forget, most people don't make it to the fourth quarter. And as a visual person, I thought of four light bulbs. And I saw the fourth light bulb go poof, go away. I was like, wait a second. And then my first light bulb was poof, it was gone. And I was like, whoa. And he said, don't forget that in your third quarter, your body starts to fall apart. So just second quarter, make the most of it. So that's the urgency you need to, to make something. Mm. Now the second half, but how do you get the time to do that? Uh, that came from I mean, all these people who died. I have all these stories of all these dead people. Um, um, this, this is about uh, Gordon McKenzie. Uh, Gordon McKenzie wrote this book that was supposed to be a business book, wasn't really popular, Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And the person who knew Gordon gave me one of the last copies that's, that's specially bound, like in that designerly, mm -hmm. like which Jedi encrusted, whatever. Like it's really fancy. I was like, whoa, what is this? It's a limited it came, edition. It came from the Temple of Design. It came, to I you. mean, I'm a total Temple Design subscriber. Um, and then that book has this wonderful piece about how uh, there's a the CEO shows up at the cow pasture and says to the cows, make milk faster. And it's like the cows are like chewing the grass, looking at the CEO like, nah, I'm going to chew my grass or whatever. Like, make it faster. He's getting angry. He's getting angry. And then uh, the point of it was a graph. Um, he draws a graph, a line, just one line. And he says, this is the time. Most CEOs want the milk to be done in the first two seconds of encountering the cows. But in reality, the cow is going to take 95% of their time to make the cow, to make the milk. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and in that last, you know, a few minutes, they're expressing the milk. And so the point is that creativity takes time to make the milk. You can't will it to occur. Mm. So that goes to the third piece, which came from Paul Rand. See, all these like dead people. Paul Rand told me that when I met him at his house a long time ago, he told me to make lots of money, which really took me, took me off like, whoa, make yeah. lots of money. what do you mean make a lot of money? He says, make lots of money because it'll enable you to do what you want to do your way. You'll spend your whole life looking for the, the intersection of what you love to do versus what makes money. Mm -hmm. Just, he said, I, I lived 80, 80, 80 years. I found the simplest formula. If you, don't know, if you don't have a trust fund, is to make money on things that you're kind of okay with doing to fund what you love to do. So mm -hmm. in summary, number one, have urgency because you're going to die. Number two, creativity takes time, so create that time. Number three, you can make it by making money to fund that free time. I love all those. That, that's amazing. It was slightly incoherent, but however we can use it. No, uh, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's great. I love it. Well, Man, we're to the end of our time. Right. I, I okay. want to be, uh, okay. I know you have a busy schedule and thank you Anything for being on for Design you. Lab, John. Uh, it's, it's such an honor. honor. No, back at you. You're oh. like, 
You're like the Jedi Knight, and I got to hang out with you for a little bit. Thank you. I'm the Padawan, always. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, on this part of the show, we do a recap. I'm joined by the producer of Design Lab, Rob Gleesey. Rob and I talk about what inspired us and what can be a takeaway for everyone who's listening. Rob, I love John Maidai. He is an inspiration to me. He's a Jedi master in technology and design. We went all over the place with that conversation, man. My brain hurts. <laughs> He, my brain hurts every time I talk with John. He has so much stuff to say. We just cram that all in. I love his takeaway message about how to be more creative and the sense of urgency. I know that in a lot of projects that we do, unless there's a deadline, we do not create. And I think that's true for a lot of people that you need this sense of urgency in order to be creative. Also, like incorporating money into that calculation is kind of like an unpopular thing. You don't hear that a lot when you're talking about creativity, right? Yeah, I was shocked by what Paul Rand, one of the most famous designers, said to him about you need to make money. There's the myth, myth of a starving artist that you need to be starving in order to create. But in fact, it's 100% opposite that you look at a lot of creative people or artists and a lot of them are able to create from the sense of privilege and often is because of a funding mechanism that they might have in order to fund whatever creative pursuit that they're doing. Yeah. You know, one of the things about John's message was that this idea that it takes time, that you do need resources, that although you have to have this urgency about what you're doing, don't expect it to happen immediately. I'm like, all right, I don't have to be creative right now. I'm not going to create the next best thing in the next three seconds, it's going to take time and dedication and it's okay. He is one of the most curious people I know. I loved when he visited Philadelphia last year. We had a chance to sit with John for almost two hours. And I remember him just looking around our lab and being very curious on what we were doing. It was great. He called us the Avengers of healthcare. I thought, man, that's a, that's a cool description. Uh, he just, he's always learning. And I think that, that humility about him allows him to jump from different sectors and different fields from academics to Silicon Valley, to, uh, to the venture capital world, uh, to the artist world, because he has that sense of curiosity and he's always learning. I think curiosity is a really undervalued trait. Like, I think having somebody who's just willing to ask why and, like, what's that doing over there and why is it there and, wow, that's weird and kind of funky and I love it or I don't like it, that's something that not a lot of people necessarily do. John just seeks out cool, diverse, smart, wicked people. And his book, How to Speak Machine, is so good. I've read it and it just opened my mind to a different type of design outside of classical design. And his definitions for design flavors, I love. It's design thinking, classic design, computational design. It is a nice framework for me to understand design, even though he said there's some critics out there who, who don't like those definitions. But haters are going to hate, man. Yeah, sometimes it's just that they don't understand. For me, How to Speak Machine 
was a really awesome book because I was kind of like a computer science flunky back in the day. I I really wanted to go into computers. I was obsessed with computers in grade school because they were just kind of becoming available to everybody. And I and really it goes wanted... with your geek persona too, right? Yeah, Being totally. Like I mean, it was junkie. it was just born in me, right? Yeah. And I was really leaning in that direction. I wanted to learn computer science, but it just didn't work. My brain did not comprehend how computers functioned at their core. That computational um, thinking that all computers work off of, I just couldn't do it. Like I just I tried learning it and it just could not soak in no matter what. So I abandoned technology and just went into biology because that for some reason worked in my brain. So reading How to Speak Machine for me was like the first time that I really understood how computers work, why they do what they do and the power of them because he explained it and took it apart so well. So I really appreciate this concept of computational design. I've met so many people through John who have inspired me. Having those conversations allows me to grow as a person. And just by the simple fact of talking to someone who is unlike me and outside of my field. Yeah. Being able to hear from people who have these unique perspectives and personalities and experiences and ask them things that aren't directly related to those experiences and there's so much you can learn. To the five people out there listening, we're trying to figure out what Design Lab is all about, but we do know we wanna have folks like John Maida on because we learned so much from him. I think you can learn from him and it's great to be able to do this during this time of the pandemic when we can't physically meet people, but we can have some great conversations. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Maida. His new book is called How to Speak Machine. Pick it up. It's great. And you can follow John on Twitter. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and give feedback to the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen. I'm your host, Bon Koo. Rob Puglisi produced this episode, and our theme music was created by the amazing Emmanuel Houston. See you next week. Thank you.